From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. The Trump administration's new budget request includes big bumps for the Department of Veterans Affairs, the National Nuclear Security Administration, and NASA, among others. The White House is asking Congress for big cuts to the Environmental Protection Agency, Housing and Urban Development, and the Commerce Department. GovExec reports the request proposes moving the Secret Service out of the Department of Homeland Security and back to the Treasury Department. Federal News Network reports the budget includes a joint request for the General Services Administration and Office of Personnel Management. Reforming official time and phasing out the, employee the federal employee retirement system are two recommendations to reform the federal government from a task force of 11 members of the House Republican Caucus. Other recommendations include allowing competitive bonuses and giving employees fixed contributions for health insurance instead of a percentage of premiums. The leading signers of the recommendations are Republican Study Committee Chairman Mike Johnson and Task Force Chairman Greg Gianforte. The Navy will spend up to $7.7 billion on its new Next Generation Enterprise Network contract. Navy Assistant Secretary for Research Development and Acquisition Jim Gertz says NGNR will, quote, enable the digital modernization of the Navy's enterprise networks. Federal News Network reports the Navy awarded the contract to Lidos. Congress and vendors are already starting to look through the White House's new budget request, but agencies and contractors still have about half of this fiscal year left. As the third quarter approaches, a look at the most important things to do now to prepare with Larry Allen, Managing Director at BDO USA. Larry, thanks very much for coming on as always. Sure. What's the most important thing to be paying attention to as we head toward Q3? The fact that we are about halfway through the year, Francis, and that means that contractors have to start shifting gears and how they're approaching their government uh, relationships. Mm -hmm. You're coming close to the time of the fiscal year when the meet and greets, the introductory discussions with agencies, departments that you haven't met with, those are gonna have to be wound down in the next month or two. That's mm -hmm. what I'm telling people. You're not done yet, but you wanna get them on the calendar for now because come May, you probably are gonna be pretty much done with those introductory meetings and you're gonna shift to actually what's in your pipeline just as your federal customer is going to shift more and more to things that they're actually got to accomplish by the end of the fiscal year. I note that you use the word relationships and not contracts. You want people to pay attention to the people and not to the paper, right? Francis, the most successful companies in this market are the ones who know the relationship side. We talk a lot about process. In fact, I've spent a lot of my career on process uh, in government contracting, but really the relationship side is at least as important. We're doing business with other people. Government is uh, wary about people that they don't know about. If you've got trust, if you've got an established relationship, it's going to make getting that business all much that much more easy. It, that word is interesting to me because we have salespeople here at the television station, and I walked through their area the other day, and they have a, some quote from, I think it was Zig Ziglar on there, if they trust you, they'll do business with you. And that's those techniques are the same in the federal space, even though the way that you go about closing the deals and so on is different. That stuff's the same in the federal space as it is every place else, right? There's absolutely no question about that. In my experience, you can work hard and get a meeting with a new government agency, and that's important. Mm -hmm. And you can go so far in terms of showing what your expertise is and what your experience is, 
But if you can't develop that rapport, if you can't develop that trust, you are going to be a little bit behind the curb when it comes to competing with a company that has been in there, has actually performed in that office. A little bit behind the curve, but that doesn't sound like somebody's sunk. What's right. the best way to try to make up that gap, either short-term within the context of fiscal 2020, or long-term, somebody who's in this for the long game? Nothing succeeds like success, Francis. <laughs> Whether it's your success with another government agency, so if you're doing business, example, with TSA, yep. go knock on the door at ICE, yep. maybe, you know, because the next backyard over. Or if you've got a partner that has credibility in the market and has established relationships, I've found my clients can leverage their partner's expertise and reflect in their trust and relationships, and that makes it much easier for them to build business. Basking in the glow of others, right? That's right. Um, what's the most important thing to do between now and the end of Q3? Because you and I have talked many times over the years, Q4 is just pretty much, it's gonzo. Q4, is right. So. The one thing I'm telling people now, Francis, that they don't like to hear, it's the equivalent of you have to go to the dentist. Yeah. But you know you have to go to the dentist. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't you rather go now? Make yes. sure that your contract compliance is in shape because you don't want to get distracted while you're trying to close business on an audit or an investigation or somebody who's calling into question whether or not you're meeting your small business subcontracting goals. You've got some time now relative to what you're going to have when the weather warms up. Take that time to make sure that your compliance uh, is in good shape, that you've got your six-month checkup from the dentist so that when you're closing business, that's what you can focus on. All right. Q3 approaches in April. What should we look at between now and then, you know, kind of the rest of Q2 to make sure you're set up for success in the, in the second half of the year that's really important? Well, there are a couple of things. Very quickly, one is the government's open for business now. So while we're talking about planning and for trying to close the bigger pieces of business that will come, you can't ignore the things that are happening now. There's plenty of uh, contracts out there uh, right now in, in specific areas anyway. Everybody has their appropriations. The other thing I would say, Francis, is that you have to be ready to answer the how question. I was in a meeting last week with a government agency that illustrates this point. The people on the government side were really happy to hear about my client's solution. It had been something that absolutely piqued their interest. They were even happier to hear that we had a solution on how the agency could buy from them if that's what they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. I had a uh, tech person from that agency in the room and I had an acquisition person in the agency in the room, you should have seen the acquisition person's face light up when we came up with a couple of possible ways for them to buy from that client easily. Yep. It's not just the what, it's the how. Easily strikes me as the most important word in there. Larry, thanks as always for coming on. It's great Absolutely, to Francis. Up next, the biggest workforce benefit updates you should keep an eye on. Straight ahead on Government Matters, what you need to know about what's impacting federal employees this year. You're watching WJLA 24-7 News.
Welcome back. 17,000 federal employees retired in January. That's the highest the retirement rate's been since President Trump was elected. If you're not quite ready to pack up your desk, though, there are some new changes you should track. Greg Klingler is director at Giba Wealth Management. Greg, thanks very much for coming on. It's great to have you back. The, Fed, the Family Leave Act is the most important thing, I think, that's happened to federal employees this year. What's the difference between what they were able to do or had to do before and what they're able to do now or have to do now? So the, the Federal Leave Act, actually the reform to the Federal Leave Act that was uh, created back in 1993, um, it made a lot of changes that really br brought the federal benefits up to what many private sector employers have been doing for years. And that is it created l paid leave, 12 weeks of paid leave for people who have a child, adopt a child, or in the process of placing somebody in foster care. So that's a big change and it really makes the federal employment a little bit better for our employees. What do employees have to do to demonstrate that they're qualified for that, that they can collect on this benefit? Well, first off, they need to be working for at least a year. Mm -hmm. And I also should note that this doesn't start until October 1st of 2020. Okay. So if you're having a kid before that, unfortunately, that's where they draw the hard line in the sand right there. Um, and then once you come back, you have to work for at least the amount of time that you were out, or they're gonna be coming back for a reimbursement of those funds. You noted to me before we went on the air, it's not for everybody yet. There are some employees that don't qualify for this, but there's a fix in the works. What's that all about? Okay, so this is built around Title V. So Title V catches most federal employees, but it does leave out a number of important pieces of the federal workforce, the United States Postal Service, the Consumer Protection Bureau, pieces of the FAA, the VA, um, TSA. So there is a fix in the works. It's the Federal Employees Parental Leave a technical correction act. Well, that's not awkward at <laughs> no. all. And I think I got that one right. I think you did. Um, but that is basically designed to catch everybody else who is left out of the first law. So it, at at some point, everybody in the, that works for the federal government will will qualify for this. It is my expectation yeah. that this legislation will probably pass very easily, and then yes, it will encompass the entire federal workforce. Um, there are some changes coming to the Thrift Savings Plan, too, and there are two pieces of legislation that impact the TSP. Tell me what you're seeing in both of these pieces, and again, what will somebody be able to do or have to do now that they weren't able to do or didn't have to do before? Okay, so the first piece was actually implemented in September 16th of 2019, actually passed into legislation as part of the TSP Modernization Act in 2017. That made a lot of really, really positive changes to the TSP. Um, one of the most important things was the ability to take your money out in a much more flexible manner. TSP was always known as the very inexpensive set of funds. You had five choices, which was pretty limited as far mm -hmm. as your investment choices, but it was a great accumulation tool. The TSP Modernization Act basically said, look, we took one of our major weaknesses, the inability to take money out the way people want it, and we fixed it. Mm -hmm. So now, if you're if you're at the age of 59 and a half and you're still working, you can take up to four partial withdrawals every single year. Once you retire, you can take up to 12 partial withdrawals every single year as long as you wait 30 days in between each withdrawal. And then if you're taking out systematic withdrawals, you can change the frequency or the amount. You can stop or start at any time throughout the year. So again, it brings it up to a lot of the private sector 401ks that exist to make it even with those. One of the things that's interesting to me about the Thrift Savings Plan, the, all of these changes that have happened make it look like the TSPs doing things to make it more flexible for their customers, sure, mm -hmm. but to also make it more attractive to leave money in the TSP longer. Overall, that's probably a good thing for federal employees, isn't it, given how cheap the TSP 
uh, fees um, are. And, and that's really the key. The TSP fees are very, very inexpensive. And, I mean, every portfolio, I don't care who you are, should have the S&P 500 or, or the C fund, mm -hmm. um, the total stock index or the, uh, the S fund. Um, they should have the G fund's an excellent uh, for what it is, it is an excellent component because it gives you the uh, the rate of return of a 10-year bond, mm -hmm. but it is effectively liquid, which is a, a pretty nice combination. So every portfolio should have these aspects of it. So nobody should ever take all of their money out of their TSP unless they really don't want to manage it at all. Mm -hmm. Now, of somebody who's looking to diversify a little bit further, there are things the TSP is missing because it only has five investments. So taking a portion out, may make a lot of sense in rounding out your portfolio as a whole, bringing in real estate or emerging markets or things that are not in the TSP right now as it exists today. What drives me crazy, I have to admit, and, and it's none of my business because everybody should manage their money for themselves, drives me nuts to hear people that tell me they have most or all of their money in the G fund, like, and that's their long-term mm -hmm. planning. Yeah, that's, and it was, that's not great, is it? No, t typically not. The G fund's excellent for what it is. Yes. But having a fund that's invested entirely in the G fund is typically not what you're going to want to have your money in. Because at the end of the day, even if you're retired and you retire today, there are dollars that you're not going to spend for 20 or 30 years in the future. Mm -hmm. And those should have equity exposure. It was only until a couple of years ago where the, the G fund actually represented the majority, the highest um, amount of money in any fund. It was recently, over the last two years, surpassed by the C fund, mm -hmm. but that happened only very, very recently. And we've talked to a lot of people who had their money sitting in the G fund from the crash in 2007, 2008 on, and they really haven't seen the returns of their peers. They bought high and sold low and haven't recovered from it yet. We have about 30 seconds very quickly to talk about the SECURE Act. Big thing there is that you can now take money out. You have, can wait till 72 to take money out the first time instead of having to do it at 70 and a half, yeah. right? So the, the SECURE Act affects all American citizens, but it also affects federal workers in that process. Mm -hmm. And yes, the problem with the RMDs that it, as they exist today is they did not account for people living longer. So the concern was people are going to run out of money. The SECURE Act fixed that in part because they changed the minimum requirement age from 70 and a half to 72. And it set the stage for them to re readjust those factors. Now, those factors have not been updated for 2020, but the plan is for them to be updated in 2021. So keep that in mind as well. Greg, thanks very much for yeah, coming on. It's great it's to have you back. Thank you. Up next, the big next big deal and big deadline in government deals. Straight ahead on Government Matters, what happens if the EIS deadline slips? Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv. We'll be right back. Government agencies have until the end of March to award enterprise infrastructure solutions contracts. If they don't, their access to the current telecom contracts could change. Mark Rockwell's staff writer at FCW. Mark, welcome. You've been following EIS since the very beginning of this transition. Right. Where are we now as far as what agencies are supposed to be doing, have to do, should have done already, all of that? I think we're... Uh 
pretty well along, far along in the process compared to a year ago. Okay. Um, we've got uh, contracts being made. Uh, you know, I think the Department of Interior just signed a 1.6 billion with CenturyLink a couple week or so ago. Yes. Um, we all nine providers on the contract have uh, authority to operate, which means you can cut contracts with all those guys. Um, but the deadline's coming up, and we still only have a handful of actual large contracts awarded or out there. Uh, so that's kind of a in a nutshell, we're better off than we were a year ago. You write, uh, to quote exactly what I alluded to in the introduction, um, March 31st is GSA's target for agencies to award contracts under EIS, and you write, or face limited access to existing telecommunications contracts. What's limited access mean? So, this is a, it's, it, when they extended the EIS uh, compliance back in, was it 2018, late mm -hmm. 2018? They extended it for, for three years, basically, to 2023. They did that with uh, the LSA contracts, the local service agreements and networks. So the way I understand it is that government agencies can, they, they can sign on for uh, up to 2023 for those contracts. And when they, but when they get to the end of that, I'm not sure exactly what happens. And that's because the companies are not sure what happens? I mean, there's, there, it strikes me that there's some of this that's not completely clear after the 2023 situation. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I think they're, uh, that, I think we're gonna get to that point where they're gonna have to, we're gonna have to, you know, fish and cut bait or fish, yes. one of the two. So I'm not sure where that point is. Um, GSA is, is they, they talk to agencies uh, they've told me they talk to them on a weekly basis with their transition team. They're doing the, they're working their hardest to get agencies to move. But if you're, uh, you know, to play, you know, sympathy for the devil here, the agencies have complex jobs here. Yes. Especially the larger ones, like uh, DHS and, and USDA. I mean, they have thousands of local connections they have to work out, and you know, tw different components, and it's a tough job. Mm -hmm. And I think everybody's trying to get it done, but it's just a big job. Based on your reporting, nobody can say that GSA isn't paying close attention, working with these agencies closely. You write that those weekly updates include details on timeline, scope, and status of activities for completing the acquisition phase and proceeding through the implementation phase. It sounds like that's a combination of hand-holding and leadership on GSA's part yeah. to make sure that this transition's working the way that it's yeah, supposed and to. I, for the most part, I think if you're GSA, you've got to be frustrated mm -hmm. that, that, that uh, you know, we're kind of fits and starts here. And they've got to be getting some pressure from uh, you know OMB and, and people because this the last time they you know the last big telecom contract they had they had three year delays and it was a it was you know a bad scene. Yes. So they're they're working hard to avoid that and you know I think they're they're doing their best that they can with agencies at this point. And the reason I think that's probably tremendously frustrating is I did an event on EIS transition with Kay Ely when she was still running right. it. It was the event I think was two years ago, and the underlying tone was, "It's time to get moving, people." Right. And here we are in the headed towards spring of exactly. 2020, exactly. and we're still having agencies that are not this, doing it. This feels like a lot when they made the extension two years ago, mm -hmm. but when I would not, if I were an agency, I would be not expecting that to happen again. Yeah, um, you know, GSA's got a job to do, and I, I think they're going to be. You know, uh, not going to be giving any more extensions here. Um, you write, uh, you uh, quote from a spokesperson at GSA, 
legislative guidance that encourages agencies to encourages agencies to transition to EIS before the current contracts expire should be a helpful incentive to completing this effort. I love that. Whoever, whatever GSA <laughs> spokesperson worry, said yeah. that, I love that. It's so diplomatic. Yeah. The, uh, from what I understand, the, uh, there's been some uh, efforts on Capitol Hill. And I, I, some of the carriers are saying, look, we need some help. Yes. I don't think they've done that as a group formally. Uh huh. But there is um, obviously uh, th there were some letters that were sent back in the fall, uh, and this language turned up in the uh, the budget uh, guidance, which is uh, which I understand is not binding, but it kind of shows that there's some, you know, there may be another source of pressure here. It's not Capitol just Hill. GSA paying right. attention to this. Right. There are other people whose eyeballs are on this right. transition. And those letters came from I think one of the letters came from somebody in a heavily heavily rural district, you know, a lot of agriculture, mm -hmm. to, aimed at kind of USDA. Yes, saying. You probably guess should probably think about how you're doing things here. You should probably, uh, you know, look f for transformational kinds of opportunities instead of just one for one. Uh, Twenty seconds left, Mark. What do you watch as this moves forward? I'm watching the stuff on Capitol Hill. I mm -hmm. think that's an interesting thing that uh, may be coming around in the next couple of months. The, given the GSA, I don't think GSA is up there, you know, lobbying. Who knows? But. Uh, it's, there's a frustration that people are going, well, maybe we should consider going up there and talking about it uh, and getting some you know, congressional help. Mark, thanks very much as Thank always. You. If you've missed the show or you're on the go, you can stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Government Matters is available now as an audio podcast. You can get it every day on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, and TuneIn, or just ask your digital assistant to play the Government Matters podcast. I'm back in two minutes. The West Conference celebrates 30 years of bringing military and industry leadership together this year. It features military and civilian leadership and three engagement theaters covering a lot of different topic areas. It's back at the San Diego Convention Center this year, March 2nd and 3rd. You can get more information and you can register at govmatters.tv slash events. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and Sunday mornings at 10.30 on ABC7 to stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Andrew Wagner. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.